1999 The Podcast is a production of the Cage Club Podcast Network. For more podcasts on movies, comics, and all things pop culture, head to cageclub.me. To contact us with questions, comments, or just to say hi, send us an email at 1999cageclub.me. You can find me on Twitter at ProbablyRealJB and Joey at SoulPot. And you can follow the show on Twitter at 1999thepodcast. To support the show, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. The show is written, produced, and edited by us. Last year, 375 trans people were murdered, a record number in the time that such data has been recorded. Trans people as a community face an elevated risk of murder, physical violence, and suicide, and recent trends suggest that risk is growing. And an emboldened right-wing political movement in America continues to push legislation that puts trans people, and especially trans youth, at risk if not in direct harm. If you'd like to help, consider donating or otherwise supporting the National Center for Transgender Equality, the Transgender Law Center, Trans Justice Funding Project, or the Transgender Legal Defense and Education Fund or help support groups like the Trevor Project or the Trans Lifeline. Or you can refer to the website Transgender Map, linked to in the show notes, and research other groups at transgendermap.com resources advocacy. You can also learn how to support transgender artists and creators at transgendermediaportal.org. For organizations working for trans rights in especially vulnerable states like Florida, Texas, and Ohio, you can support groups like Transaction Florida, Trans Pride Initiative in Texas, and Trans Ohio. Trans rights are human rights. Links to all these organizations' websites are available in the show notes. Welcome to 1999 The Podcast. I am John Brooks. And I am Joey Lewandowski. Joey, how are you today? I am well. How are you? I am well. Yeah, it's hot. And it's uh, about it. It's hot outside. So yeah. I'm inside with the air conditioning. Um, and uh, about to get solar panels too, which I'm really Oh, mine so, just got yeah. turned on this week. They got installed a couple of months ago and they are now on and collecting the sun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like free. People should know that it's free. <laughs> well, it's not. I mean, I, I think it, it wildly varies from state to state, but basically it's not yeah. costing me more and they're actually paying me. It's just that if I right. sell this house, then I have to pay for the rest of the system. I mean, you can also rent it. There's a whole thing. Consult your, but there's also a lot of like scammers out there. Like get there someone are, like a legitimate are. solar provider. But yes, if you think, hey, this is going to cost me money, it's not. I did like eight minutes of research and found a really good company. And uh, we are going to be paying less than we do now for electricity. And like what we're paying for is just like the solar panels. So yep. um, that's cool. So I'll feel less bad about using so much air conditioning in the summertime, um, offsetting my carbon footprint a little bit. So. Yeah, that's the most exciting thing that has happened to me lately. Um, anyway, we should get to today's movie, which unfortunately is not a delightful 1980s rock opera set to the timeless music of The Cure and telling the story of the young Robert Smith, as the title would imply, but rather a deeply problematic depiction of the events leading up to the 1993 rape and murder of 21-year-old trans man Brandon Tina, or at least that is what the movie claims to be. Uh, released October 22nd, uh, one week after our last film, Fight Club. Uh, while the number one song at the time was uh, in, in the U.S. was Carlos Santana's Smooth featuring Rob Thomas. Oh, yeah. One of the most memed songs of all time. I loved that song when I was 12 years old and this was out. 11 years old? 11 years old. 
Almost I didn't fun. even like it then. I like Rob Thomas. I think he's cool. I think he's like it's a good dude. Yeah, but you um, were like a full grown person at that time. I was eleven. I was. I was. I found it annoying. I like Carlos Santana and I like Rob Thomas. I don't necessarily love Rob Thomas's music, but I think he's like an interesting and nice guy. Well, he and, also uh, created Veronica Mars, which is cool. <laughs> yeah. Same guy. Same guy. Same same guy. Don't look it up. Just watch Veronica Mars and created by Rob Thomas. Oh, cool. I guess, I guess that's the guy from Matchbox 20. Very cool. Okay, cool. There can't have been, t- there can't have been two Rob Thomases in no. the late 1990s no, 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 slash no, no. early 2000s. That would be illegal. Unique name. Right. You got to have, t- you got to have a, like at least a um, middle initial in there. Like, uh... well, like on, on Futurama, David X. Cohen. Right. I listen right. to every commentary. He's just like, oh yeah, my, I don't, he's like, he's like a normal middle name. He's like, but I need, there was another David Cohen in the Academy or whatever. And he's like, I need to register. So I'm just David X Cohen. So like, it's never, you're never not sure that it's me. It's like, I'm always that one because it's the one with the X. <laughs> or like Vanessa L. Williams and Vanessa Williams. Sure. Uh, fans of the first season of Melrose Place will know what I'm talking about. Um, or did you know that like Michael, <laughs> this is off track. Do you know that Michael Keaton's real last name is Douglas? But like, I think I did. That. Yeah. So. He couldn't use it, so uh, now he's Michael Keaton. Carlos Estevez, anyway. now Charlie Sheen, now out of work. <laughs> uh, what we're really talking about today is a movie starring Hilary Swank, Chloe Sevigny, and Peter Sarsgaard, written by Kimberly Pierce and Andy, uh, I think it's Bainan? It might be Bainan. Pretty sure it's Bainan. Uh, directed by Kimberly Pierce, uh, Boys Don't Cry was one of the most praised and decorated movies of the year. It was nominated for 57 major awards Ooh. and won 37 of them, 14 of which went to star Hilary Swank, six to co-star Chloe Sevigny, and eight to writer-director Kimberly Pierce. Swank, of course, won the Oscar for Best Actress for this role, and Sevigny was nominated for Best Supporting uh, with a 90% Rotten Tomatoes critic score and a pretty astonishing 86% Metacritic score, one might get the impression that Boys Don't Cry was uh, and is a universally admired classic. What I will say is that it's my least favorite movie we've watched this season yet. I would agree. It's a real like dogfight at the bottom between this and American Beauty, but um, there's like a gap. There's a gulf. There's a uh, Grand Canyon style gorge between number six and number seven right now yeah and they're problematic for different reasons yeah and um and have they've they've i think the revision of them is very different why they're problematic and i and i think to some degree like american beauty is worse i think i would be more inclined to watch that movie before i rewatch this movie yes yeah, because I think there I are agree. more things that I like about that. And we'll talk about this in the episode, I'm sure. But there's more things not about American Beauty, but there's things about American Beauty that we we talked about in that episode, like objectively good. It's just surrounded by stuff that's not good and with, you know, other things to be concerned about. But this is. Oh, boy. And the exploitation factor, I think, is a, is a big one, too. Like American Beauty is a, obviously not a true story. And um, this it's not? is present. <laughs> No, although that bag really did fly around, but um, other than that, I think it's mostly fictionalized. Did I say on that episode that every time I see a bag, I think of that goddamn movie? Yeah, that's the point. That's what it wants you to do. Is it the point? Um, I guess it is, probably. Okay. Point of the movie. Uh, We got a string of movies that we love coming up after this, so... um, Well, have we teased? Is is season two blockbusters? Is that the theme for season two? 
No, season two is sort of the the ones that the, the nine movies that didn't make the top nine, but are the back nine. We're expanding it to eighteen. It's the back nine. Um, okay. We're we're gonna do blockbusters. Oh, blockbusters is a future season. Right, 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 right. Yes. Okay. Yes, we do have that coming up, or would be blockbusters that weren't. Um, <laughs> is I think a more fun, and there's a lot of those in ninety nine as well. Anyway, uh, Roger Ebert called Boys Don't Cry one of the best films of the year. Uh, if you read reviews of it, you get words like stunning, poignant, profound sort of generously tossed about in critical reviews. Most praise the filmmaking itself and the acting, both of which from a like completely removed and technical standpoint, I think are the movie's strong points. Uh, and the San Francisco Chronicle's Peter Stack writing that, quote, there may not be a better acted film this year. Entertainment Weekly's Owen Gleiberman called Swank a, quote, revelation. Um, and among major critics, only Time Magazine's Elizabeth L. Bland has anything bad of note to say about the movie, criticizing it for favoring style over substance. Uh, but among the most telling reviews is that of Rolling Stone's Peter Travers, who, um, full disclosure, is a terrific film critic who I love, and I love Peter Travers' writing. I'm surprised by that. I thought he was known as being like the guy who will say a thing to get on the on the movie poster and just sort of like... Oh, no. No. Peter Travers... He's, he's I was a, a very, one. very okay. good writer. Yeah, I mean, unless there's people who like fundamentally disagree with that, that's fine. But I've always thought Peter Travers is an excellent film critic. Um, I think you're thinking of, like David Lyons. I think that's the one you're thinking of. Who like literally his job, no his job Maybe. is just to like say good things about movies for blurbs um, and whatever. But Peter Travers, no, um, wrote for Rolling Stone for a really long time. Uh, was a very, very good critic. Um, but he 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 gave Boys Don't Cry a rave review. Um, and his opening paragraph, I think, is really telling to some of the things that we're going to be talking about today. Here's what he says, um, quote, it's a true story that screams tabloid sensationalism. Six years ago in Nebraska, 20 year old Brandon Tina was raped and later murdered by two ex-cons who became enraged that the boy they hung out with for months was really Tina Brandon, a girl who strapped her breasts and stuffed a stock in her jeans. Amazingly, what could have been fodder for Jerry Springer becomes, in the hands of director and co-writer Kimberly Pierce, a shockingly intimate and deeply affecting film about the roots of sexual role-playing. And there's so much in that paragraph that is so goddamn cringeworthy. I just like, I yeah, th this to me encapsulates like everything that was wrong about what people who were praising this movie were saying. Um Sure. And it, it stunned me to 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 see him be this tone deaf. To be fair, it's as tone deaf as his review gets. Uh, but it points to a common criticism that's been leveled at the film since, that it's too sensationalist. And it's not really about a trans man, at least in the way that that Pierce um, frames the, the, the film. In fact, the film had effectively zero input or participation from anyone in the trans community whatsoever. Um, so, you know, and we, again, this is something that if you go back to our first episode, this is something that, um, Brian Raftery alluded to, um, that this is one of those movies that is one of the real kind of, um, major sources of revision in the last 23 years. Uh, the, the reception then is not the reception now. And that a lot of people have a lot of things to say about this movie that is, um, not so great. Uh, in 2019, at the 20-year anniversary of Boys Don't Cry, uh, Trish Bendix wrote a piece for the New York Times titled Boys Don't Cry 20 Years Later for Trans Men, A Divisive Legacy. Was the movie a landmark and representation or distressingly exploitative? It was both and so much more. Um, here's some excerpts from that piece. Quote, the film's success catapulted Tina's story into the mainstream. For many Americans, it was their first introduction to a trans man. 
though there's never any version of trans in the dialogue. And the fact that that movie was told largely from Tina's point of view, presenting him as someone audiences could empathize with, was celebrated in some LGBT circles. At the time, the cultural conversation around transgender lives was virtually non-existent. They were asked to take a backseat to other LGBT activists so progress could be made on issues deemed more palatable to the mainstream, like ending the military's don't ask, don't tell policy. Trans people, largely trans women, were depicted in the movies and tabloids as deceitful cross-dressers more often than not. Transgender men were absent from any media, and several reviews of the film incorrectly described Tina as a young woman posing as a man, not living his true identity. And then Bendix goes on to say, perhaps the most well-known piece of popular culture about a transgender man, Boys Don't Cry, bears the burden of representation for a highly underrepresented group of people, and it's become polarizing for some trans viewers. After a screening in 2016, protesters at Reed College in Portland, Oregon, disrupted a Q&A with Pierce, arguing that the film was transphobic and exploitative for its casting of a cisgender actress and depiction of a brutal rape. Were the film being made today, activists would insist on a trans actor in a trans role. Scarlett Johansson withdrew from the film Rub and Tug last year after such an outcry. At the time, there wasn't any organized objection to Swank's casting. Pierce said she'd auditioned several, quote, masculine of center people, in parentheses, butch women, drag queens, and some trans men, before finding Swank in search for a performer who could, quote, walk into an everyday environment and be perceived as a man. But for trans men like the actor J.J. Hawkins, the optics of Swank appearing highly feminine on red carpets were confusing and had real world consequences. Of course, it's a step in the right direction, one single story about us, but also she played a boy and she won Best Actress, Hawkins said. That was the first time I realized that people who see me as a girl dressed up as a boy because they're watching Boys Don't Cry, they're watching a girl dressed up as a boy. Similar issues have arisen with recent trans women's portrayals by Jared Leto in Dallas Buyers Club and Jeffrey Tambor in Transparent. So, um, yeah, I think that sums up a lot of what is is wrong um about this movie and i guess if you are kind of new to this conversation if you've never seen boys don't cry if you don't know what all this is about the criticisms here is that they it, it perpetuates notions of um what it is to be trans that are very set in sort of a um, a narrow view from the 1990s and um that honestly is the way that it's portrayed um in the movie and and that is was not necessary right that was something the movie did sort of by choice yeah i don't i don't know how to say that yeah 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 <laughs> um all right lastly in another 2019 essay titled boys don't cry has always been violently transphobic writer logan ashley keisner says quote pierce and swank talked a lot about swank's audition and she made the effort to be as masculine as possible packing and binding attempting to speak in a lower register and etc and this got her noticed. But the part of the story that sticks out to me is where Swank lied about her age. The citation of this part of the story seems to have been lost to the pits of old internet. But in short, during her audition, Swank, who was 22, lied to Pierce about her age. Swank said that like Brandon, she was 21 years of age. When Pierce later confronted her about her lie, Swank responded, but that's what Brandon would do. Hillary Swank was cast in part because she portrayed Brandon as a liar. To her and everybody involved, Brandon Tina was a woman who lied, who deceived, who spun the truth, even in completely unnecessary situations. The portrayal of trans people as liars is such a deeply dangerous thing. It's the thing, in fact, that gets us murdered. And yes, I know that this movie came out in 1999, and it's not exactly the greatest time for trans people or any LGBT person. 
Almost every article from the late 90s misgenders Brandon, refers to him as a woman or a lesbian, or only ever referred to him in the context of sex in the context of lying. You know, the only two things trans people are ever brought up for, how we fuck or who we're fooling. In conclusion, Kaisner says, boys don't cry is important in that it is one of only a few mainstream depictions of transgender men. But outside of that distinction, there is nothing special or valuable to warrant remembering. When there is finally an outpouring of transgender content in the same way that there is for general LGB content, although, of course, this is still meek in comparison to the cishet media market, I think that Boys Don't Cry will finally be allowed to be pushed back into relative obscurity, a film that, while notable for the time of its release, no longer should be used as an educational tool. So this is a movie with a lasting legacy and a very complicated one. Um, And so, Joey, who is our guest to talk to us today about Boys Don't Cry? Our guest is who you're just quoting and reading from. Our guest today is writer and transgender horror historian Logan Ashley Kaiser. Oh, what you know, a coincidence. When you started reading his work that he was going to be on this very episode, I don't think I, he did. I could never have guessed. Uh, serendipity. All right, stick around. We'll be right back with Logan. Logan Ashley, welcome to 1999 The Podcast. It's great to have you. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Let's talk a little bit about yourself before we get into the movie. I reached out to you because you, uh, f- three years ago, wrote a uh, essay about the movie in question that I found very compelling um, and, and wanted to have your, your voice on the show. Uh, but you also write a lot about um, trans horror. Uh, as a sort of a subgenre, so I want to talk to you a little bit about that first. Are, are are you have you always been like a big has horror as a genre always been a big thing for you? Yeah. So my mom basically has like seen every horror movie ever made, and so horror yeah. was just like <laughs> just constantly on in our house. Like I saw most <laughs> I saw most horror movies before I saw like other movies because like. I was not allowed to see like swearing films until I was like 12, but like alien was fine. I, I, I saw like the TV cut of child's play before I saw like die hard. You fit in unknowingly. You fit in. So we are, we have found a string of guests who have grown up in the most irresponsible households with parents who like seemingly loving parents who are just like, yeah, watch the most grisly shit you can imagine. It's like, all right, cool. Go for it. I guess. Uh, yeah. And so just, the whole life grew up in horror and then eventually as like i came into my own identity i'm like okay how can i make these two interests mesh and then i ended mm-hmm. up finding this trans horror stuff that like people had written about like before obviously i wrote anything but it was very disjointed and never the whole picture and i'm like oh here's this very interesting aspect of horror history that has just kind of gone unreported basically that's interesting because horror as a genre i mean does a lot of different things it 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 is a good vessel through which to kind of i think tell a lot of different uh stories and 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 to convey ideas that maybe are um difficult to to encapsulate right um how like in general do you think that like the function of trans horror as a genre uh, in terms of like communicating um, the, the trans experience, right. For, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, like how useful do you think it is? And, and like, what are some like really good examples that you have come across? 
see horror is like a very literal genre in my experience just because it can mm-hmm. like it literalizes like our fears like you're afraid of this thing and now it's a literal monster in front of you they have to like right. punch in the face <laughs> and i'm actually i'm working on like a really really big writing piece right now like trying to like tie the actual like social and political history into like the films that we're seeing and there's a lot of like not crossover but definitely influence like um <laughs> it's funny i rewatched sleepaway campy yesterday and just the visceralness of that movie still is so striking i was looking at your letterbox last night because that is one of my favorite movies and i know that it is problematic in like 10 different ways but i adore the ballsiness of it so much and i was like please don't let me see like one star i think you wound up giving like three stars like okay at least you like you understand like what why you can love i mean there's also obvious reasons why like it's terrible and like overt and and less other ways but i'm glad that you at least appreciate uh, the wackiness of Sleepaway, Sleepaway Camp. Yeah, I'm like, I, I think it started out as a three-star rating. I think I've bumped it up to five by now. I'm Perfect. just like, that's that's the correct rating. That's the only one I will it. accept. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I I also like. I wonder. I mean, so Joey is is correct. I also noticed this trend that we have uh, a string of guests whose parents let them watch really inappropriate or didn't let them watch sometimes, but like they got away with watching very inappropriate movies at a young age and. It's, maybe it's turning out that that's a really good idea um, and it produces really quality people. Maybe I should start letting my kids watch. Um, well, you're not you're not getting like the broken people on here. Like there are probably people who have, no, who have been allowed true. to see those kind of things that like have turned out terribly. You're just finding people who have channeled that into creative pet endeavors. Like you're not finding so, like, people but... who are like, you know, nobody wants to talk to. Imagine what I'd be doing if I wasn't writing. Right. <laughs> um i don't think i'm that lucky joey I, I don't know i think i think we're i think the sample size is starting to be um big enough but like did your mom ever say to you i mean i so i watched i'm trying to think i watched alien for the first time i must have been like 13 Ooh, i think um, that was my around my age too yeah so still pretty young i think alien 3 came out when i was 12 or 13 and i saw that in the theater um and i i've never really been a huge horror fan but like yeah there was an age i think where my parents started kind of letting me make my own call about what I watched or also like whatever my brother was watching. He was a few years older than I was like that. That was okay. Um, but your mom's relationship to horror, like was she, was she just like a horror junkie? And then just sort of was like, this is fine. And I'm okay with you watching this, but never swear in my house. Or like, <laughs> how, did, <laughs> how did that work? Pretty much. Like pretty much. I think she was always just like in search of what could actually scare her, which is, the vein of horror that that i have started to go down just because i've seen so much now i'm like okay like nothing really like gets under my skin anymore let's like seek out something that's actually going to frighten me and i think that's where she was and still is for a long time but she just she loves the genre and she has like a lot of fond memories of it and loves like oh i loved like this was the first movie that scared me check out this do you two have a favorite horror movie together like not like necessarily your favorite or her favorite but one that you love together that you you know a comfort horror film if you will she doesn't rewatch movies a lot, but I will say that my Am dad. I her mom? <laughs> <laughs> um, my dad introduced me to Evil Dead, and that's like that's our thing, like one hundred percent. Wait, what do you not to derail us further, John? But what do, what do you think of the new the Fede Alvarez <laughs> Evil Dead? Um, I I like it. It's definitely not the okay. original trilogy, but it, it it's one of the better remakes that I've seen, and that it 
remakes the original story without like retelling it if that makes sense yeah no that's i think that's fair i'm not i'm not crazy about like i don't have a super close connection to the first one but i was just like this is like just like kind of just over the top gross to be kind of gross i mean like the the raining blood scene like i will never like it just <laughs> yes. there's some visuals from that that are really really cool it's just his his shtick doesn't quite work for me but okay back to the show <laughs> <laughs> No, I love this. This is great. Um, it's good to talk about movies that we actually don't um, don't hate because uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get there. Um, we're easing in, in. A, in in a moment. Yeah, we're easing in. Um, Logan, you're also the first guest that we've had, and this is pretty interesting. Who was not born um, <laughs> at the time of this this podcast subject which kind of i mean as a person who was 19 and 20 years old um in, in the year in question a little bit blows my mind um <laughs> that that we have you know functioning adults who were not born uh in 1999 you were born in the year 2000 is that is that correct yep april 2000 <laughs> um but i actually like i, I i'm glad because one of the reasons that i reached out to you i just i found that element of this really interesting as well that that um i think you have a removal from a lot of the sort of zeitgeist of this movie that a lot of people don't have and 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 can see it in an objective way um that um some other people who i i think even like feel the same way about this movie that you do um don't necessarily have so um yeah this is our first we have a, we have a first post 1999 guest uh interesting <laughs> very cool uh and let's let's get into the first times that we saw this movie now uh when you wrote your essay was that your first exposure to it or had you seen it before that was my second time watching it the first time because the year prior i had wanted to do like watch a series of films about trans men and it was literally one film every day and by the point that i got to boys don't cry i think i would have hated anything that i was watching it was just so many bad movies in a mm. row and so when i went to write this essay i'm like okay you need to like watch this again get like a fresh unaltered perspective still hated it but definitely like i watched it through a different lens and same when i rewatched it for this podcast i'm like it needs to be fresh in your mind you need to <laughs> come at this with as fresh a mind as you can so it's not like tainted by retrospect so your first experience you saw it as sort of a part of a project didn't like it then didn't like it the second time and have <laughs> it seems increasingly hated it um since then uh in that like in that first experiment where you're sort of watching um, this series of movies about trans men, is there anything that stuck out that like is the opposite of, of Boys Don't Cry or, or something that was actually good and, and worth seeing? Oh, God, I'm trying to think just <laughs> in the sense that it revealed to me how few films there are. Yeah. I, I think also, especially in comparison to how many films there are about trans women, there just aren't a lot of films about trans men out there. Like there's a lot of like cross-dressing women and like, especially in the horrors, um, especially in horror films, there are a lot of films where transness is the symptom of abuse and mental illness and it's not its own identity, mm. basically. Mm -hmm. Um that being said, I did find a lot of good documentaries. Like um Southern Comfort is a documentary about Dennis E. Robert Eads, um, who was a trans man who died of ovarian cancer because doctors would not treat him because he was trans. Oh, Jesus. And it's, it is a, <laughs> yeah, it's a stone cold bummer of an ending that you know is coming. But the documentary itself is like actually about like, well, society has left me to die. Let me find my home and community with my own people. And in that 
aspect of the documentary. It's actually like a very like, oh, like even when we have nothing, we have each other. Yeah. Like that kind of yeah. small hope. Uh, Joey, what about you? When was the first time you saw Boys Don't Cry? Last night. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, I was saying to you, the movies that I haven't seen from 1999, I probably haven't seen for a reason. And I know that like we were, when we were planning this season, we were deciding on the nine biggest movies. And I think we landed on this one for this first season solely because Hilary Swank won Best Actress for this. Yeah, um, partly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like in terms of the, because, you know, American Beauty, whole other ball of wax uh <laughs> one basically everything else and so i think that this sort of shapes sort of the narrative of that but i think it was a movie that i don't remember people talking about like mm. i think again i was too young like i was not in like i was not reading about movies at this time um it's it's a movie that clearly has not really aged well um that i i don't know that there's necessarily and i, I don't necessarily feel like the, i'm the right person to speak about this but i don't know if there's a reason to see this today unless you're going through and trying to you know classify and categorize and bring to light all the different types of this story but there's just better examples of just about everything this movie tries to do and yeah that's fair i i uh my first experience watching it was very different i i it Did you was in theaters yeah yeah and, and i want to make, make clear like the reason that this is on our first list of first nine it, again like the nine does not endorse the movie. Um, it is not us. We've said it before on the podcast, but it's not us saying these are our favorite movies or the best or whatever. Um, these are the movies that I think cast the largest shadow. And um, I know when we first talked about like what the first nine would be, th this came up and I, and I was like, I, I really think this needs to be on there again, not because it's good or like, but because of I think sort of like how much it stretched in the memory of, of, of people, you know, maybe for not, for not great reasons. And of course also, yeah, that Hillary Swank won the Academy Award for this and that put it um, very much sort of on the cultural radar. I remember when this came out, like it was a big um, sort of like it was, it had made sort of the art house run and, and had a lot of word of mouth of being very, very powerful and everything else. And, and being a like very important movie TM, uh, you know, sort of a, sort of a vibe. And I saw it and I, and I was very at the time moved by it. Um, I did find it very powerful. Um, but I also want people to understand this was like almost 12 months after Matthew Shepard, which was a moment that, that changed a lot about the national conversation about um, LGBTQIA, like existence and, and, uh, and rights and all, and, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, and, and I think it, it in, in a weird way, like it got sort of wrapped up into that. And, and one of the things that like, I hadn't really thought about it specifically much since um, until I, I read Logan's essay um, I, I knew I knew that something rubbed me the wrong way about it. Like a lot of things did sort of in in, in retrospect. Um, but, you know, I, I also want to point out that, like, I, having been born in 1979, lived through. I think the most radical shift in in attitudes and the way that people like talk about just like queer identity in general. Um, I know there's been a lot of like blowback to that in recent years because of fucking conservatives but but still like a, so much has changed since when i was like in middle school and like don't ask don't tell was passed right and that sort of thing um 
so yeah, like I, I've I've had a very like complicated history with this movie. Um, I I do, yeah, I think it's very problematic, and um, and for I think it's important to talk about the reasons why it's problematic, and and that sort of I think brings us to, um, to Logan. So Logan, I, I'm going to say this. Here is what Rotten Tomatoes critical consensus blurb says about Boys Don't Cry. And I want to get your response. Here's what it says. Right. <laughs> oh, Keeping in mind, it is a 90% critic score, certified fresh, and an oh, yeah. 87% audience score of 50,000 plus ratings. The critical consensus about Boys Don't Cry says, harrowing yet stirring, Boys Don't Cry powerfully commemorates the life and brutally unjust death of transgender teen Brandon Tina. Logan, is that an accurate description of Boys Don't Cry? Uh, I think it's certainly an accurate description through the eyes of people who don't know. Right. (laughs) Because, okay, so whenever I bring up, like, my own trans identity, Boys Don't Cry is always brought up in pretty rapid succession to, like, people who are just meeting me because they're like, oh, this is my first exposure to trans men. Ergo, I must connect the dots. (laughs) And so in the sense that this was probably the first time that most of society, like, knew that trans men existed, Mm -hmm. that summary tracks because trans women have the most visibility and have since the 50s, and trans men have always been behind in that visibility i guess whether that's good or bad is like a debate we can have but just trans women have always been more vis- trans women have always been more visible and trans men have always kind of just been i guess the underbelly of transness like people don't really think about us and so when this movie came out everybody was like oh wow this is like a thing i should know about like by virtue of being the first and only one it must be the good one right right yeah yeah and i think also that's a little bit how i felt and i want to make sh- clear like i was not um I was not naive and I was not kind of like sheltered. Like I went to a, I went to a, um, an arts high school, right. Where I like being a, um, a, a straight male at that school was like very much the minority. Right. Um, <laughs> like say no more. Right? which was cool. And like, I'm, I'm very grateful. Like I'm glad like that, that I had that experience and it made, it gave me like an opportunity that a lot of people, you know, my age at that time, like did not have. And, and, um, and that was awesome. But I, I, I certainly was not, exposed in that setting to um like trans identity right in any meaningful way because like it was still one of those things that the vocabulary for it and like the social acceptance of it was just not present and 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 not um uh you know not not permeated and um you know this movie was you know even my misgivings about it at the time was was at least a moment where i was like oh yeah, I, I get that trans people in America are subjected to a lot of horrific and sometimes fatal violence and like have a much higher risk of murder and death. Um, and, and you know, I was also sort of heartened by the fact that a lot of people saw it. Um, I guess like now thinking back, the things that you raise that I think are really important to talk about is that it it avoids actually engaging with trans identity in any meaningful way right that it that it like a lot of like i I like that you pointed to some of these like reviews that a lot of the summaries and reviews are like you know brandon tino was a girl living as a man and it's like well no (laughs) that's that's not really what's happening and and this is not the way to talk about it i think the reviews i mean in the this is a a wild sentence i'm about to say but like in the reviews defense i think they're confused because the movie is kind of confused in a certain way right right right, right, yeah so i think it's hard to like 
if you think about like if this is one of the first mainstream depictions of this type of story it would the logic would follow that the people who are watching this and reviewing this do not have experience in watching or reviewing this kind of thing and so they're taking the cues from the movie they're like you know this is you know it, i'm sure she did her research i'm sure this is good like i'm, I'm <laughs> going to take this movie as gospel and so yeah i don't want to defend the reviewers but i think that you know there's there's a there's a weird untrue sort of logic to why the reviews are as kind of misguided as they are yeah and i have learned this extensively audiences are babies in terms of trans knowledge you as a, like if you're a filmmaker going to tackle trans identities go as basic as you can and work your way up because you mm-hmm. like psycho is my favorite example of this like the movie stops in its tracks turns to the camera and says norman is not trans in any way shape or form and 50 years later look where we are yeah that's a really interesting point and like also i like the vocabulary at the time was that transsexual transvestite drag queen these are all the same thing in the minds of like most people and i think that and let me know, like, I want to I want to get your 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 take on this. I think that the the biggest sin that boys don't cry, if we're going to be very generous about it, right, the biggest sin that it commits in the most sort of generous sense is that it had an opportunity to um, illuminate <laughs> that distinction and utterly fails to do so. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when Kimberly Pierce has, like, said that she um, looked at trans people in casting and ultimately decided to go with Hillary Swank. Like you, you looked the correct path in the eye and turned away from it. Yeah. Talk more about that though, because like there's this, one of the things that you highlight is there's this, and I kind of alluded to this a second ago, but there's this sort of, um, there's also this sort of mainstream idea that like every queer person is an ally of every other queer person. And so like (laughs) Kimberly Pierce gets a pass on everything because she is part of the queer community. Like, <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't want to be outright cruel, but I will say that I am frustrated. I feel like is the nicest way to put it because I, as somebody who was not alive in the year 1999, I admit that I'm not fully t- cognizant of what the queer community was like back then. Yeah. But as I was watching like this movie yesterday, I kept it took me like three hours to get through it because I kept pausing it and like going to do more readings just to like affirm to myself how much bullshit this was. And what I found this time around, just going through the digital transgender archive, is how many trans people were like showing up in protests and in visuals. They were protesting Saturday Night Live, like in response to jokes they were making about about Brandon Tina. And it was the realization that, oh no, like trans people weren't just like scattered vaguely to the wind and Kimberly Pierce like tried her hardest and couldn't find anybody to consult with like trans people were always there but it was more convenient for her to ignore it because she saw this story as an opportunity to make this great lesbian love story to the point of grossly cutting down what the reality of the story was yeah um I'm trying to like also like put myself back in the in the in the 23 years ago frame of mind and like and and try to remember what sort of the uh the characterization of brandon tina was to to people who talked about the movie and and as you like in your writing as you talked about it as kimberly pierce writing this as basically a lesbian romeo and juliet i'm like yeah i think that's actually kind of what i took from it um 
which is super fucked up. And, and, and also as you, as you sort of point out over and over again, right? Like not the case. I, I also like, I just want to very quickly say that like, I hate the fact that the right has ruined the goddamn name Brandon for me. Like I can't even like, <laughs> like they ruin fucking everything, but like even that name, they won't leave alone. So I'm just going to say that real quick, but let's, let's talk about this. Like who, who, who was, um, who was Brandon Tina? And like, what is this movie? Uh, miss about about Brandon's life? I think that's a really interesting question just in the sense that we know so little about Brandon outside of who he dated just because that's what so much of the media coverage focused on at the time was the women he'd like um, the Donna Minkowitz uh, Love Hurts article was like the first really big news article about Brandon and it was almost entirely composed of interviews with ex-girlfriends and it was all like oh i had no idea he was trans like he was such a great lover like i had no idea and it focused very little on who he was as a person Mm -hmm. like we know that he wanted to join the military and he was like incredibly upset that he couldn't and we know that he had like definitely i i would say an issue with the law but outside of that like we factually know very little about his life outside of his relationship to and with other people which i think is like really frustrating as well so like if you were gonna make a good movie about about brandon like is that movie worth making and 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 like do you think i don't know like if some if some actual you know trans writer director came along and and wanted to do it like is it is it is it worth doing? And do you think like in doing that in some way, you might be able to clean up some of the mess that, that Boys Don't Cry left behind? I think it might be possible. And like, even if you wanted to do a love story still with Brandon, like I, I make note of this in my essay too. Like he had a long-term girlfriend that he broke up with like right before the events of the film happened. And one of the last things that, um, I think it was a Playboy um, interview that I read called Death of the Deceiver, which great title. Thank you, Playboy. It mentions this ex-girlfriend like went to his funeral and like talked to Lana Tisdale and she's like, what was he like? And Lana was like, Lana was like, well, he kept mentioning this one ex-girlfriend that he still really, really loved. And I'm like, there's your fucking movie. Yeah. If you want to make this a love story, like not this girl that he knew arguably very little of and for a brief period of time, like he had and that's another thing that I found while reading a lot yesterday. He had so many people who loved him and people who they say like that knew about his transness and loved him either because or in spite of or any variation thereof, like regardless of his identity, like they just loved who he was and he was a like a friendly person that people like to be around. And like, there's a movie to be made about the tragedy of a loss like that and what the post-death outing of him did to people's perception of him. I don't know. Like, I, I would be interested, I think, to see like maybe a short film about that. I don't know if a feature like, like I think, ooh, that's another issue I have with this film is that it focuses so much on the brutalization. And I feel like yeah. a smarter filmmaker could have still made the impact hit without necessarily showing the brutality. Yeah. And I think that's kind of why I brought up Matthew Shepard, um, because there was this like like one of the I, I've read a lot of essays uh, about. Um, sort of in, in retrospect about Matthew, Matthew Shepard and how, you know, a lot of them pointing out like, well, I mean, a lot of like non-white boys had been murdered before Matthew Shepard. And yet this is the one that grabs the nation's attention. And like, yeah, okay, like baked in American racism. Um, absolutely. Um, but in this really perverse way, I think Matthew Shepard gave mainstream America um, a way of ba- being like, oh, I'm interested in these stories of 
you know, queer people being brutalized. And and that's my entryway to like feeling empathy for people, which is in and of itself, like very fucked up and something about our psychology as a, as a society that we should definitely look at. Um, but the other thing is that, like, that I keep sort of thinking about, I, I, I think about this a lot when it comes to representation. Um, like a little, little bit sidetrack here. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna tell you something I tell my, my classes sometimes, which is, you know, we talk about like, race representation in the media. And, and I tell them that when I was growing up like in the 1980s, um, there's a certain period of time in the 80s when the two most famous and most beloved people in America, right, were Bill Cosby and Michael Jackson. Oh, right? hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I remember when I was in, um, in fourth grade, um, we had this like, this like, uh, this prompt for a homework assignment that was, if you could meet one person in the world, who would it be, right? And <laughs> we did the thing that you do in, ele- in, in elementary school where the teacher, you know, calls and everybody's like, well, do you want to read yours? Do you want to read yours? And the first four were like about Michael Jackson. <laughs> and, and and the teacher was like, did anybody not write about Michael Jackson? It was like three kids who didn't write about Michael Jackson, right? But the reason why I bring that up is because one of the dangers of of the way that we do representation, right, is that in that case, of course, both of those people's legacies are are um, irreparably damaged, right? Like there's there's no way of kind of getting that back now. That genie's out of the bottle. But when you only allow two black people to represent all black people um, within a certain cultural context, like this is the danger that you run into, right? And so. The thing about Boys Don't Cry is that while I can acknowledge that it was the first thing that really got me to start thinking about trans issues, and I and I learned a hell of a lot more after it, right? I never like went back to it as a resource. Um, th- there is this tendency to like once we sort of open up the 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 window into um, marginalized communities, we tend to start with uh, the suffering, right? We tend to start with the violence. We tend to start with the most kind of salacious stories. Um, the issue here, I think, is that we haven't really gotten much further, right? Like, I don't, I don't think there hasn't been another movie of this kind of caliber and exposure since then, um, as, as far as like, I can think, right. That is sort of, I don't know, recentered the, the, um, the, the, the discussion of, of trans identity. So I just, I, I, what do you think about all that spiel that I just gave? I'm sorry. I sort of went off on a tangent there, but um. no, you're good. Um, no, martyrdom is still a very convenient topic for filmmakers to latch onto because it provides a way to give representation and also like, I guess, self-flagellation in a sense of like, oh, look how terrible we are to this population without like materially really doing anything besides just like portraying more suffering and being like, oh, look how, look how much it sucks that this population has to go through this. Here's more of that sucky suffering. And... um. I'm working, I'm working on that project now, and there's a quote from Jeremy Miller, who wrote about um, cross-dressing cinema, and she talks about how tra- in transgender thrillers, the identity is framed as only being interesting when it's being revealed, and that, like, that hits the nail on the head for me, just in the sense of, like, how many films where, how many films are there where the representation is shoehorned in at the end as a twist and not as a fully fleshed character who has an identity outside of their marginalization i guess like what are some examples of that oh god well i'm 
it's because I watched it last night. I started writing about it more, but um, Sleepaway Camp. Okay. Um, it, <laughs> Wait, John, have you seen oh, Sleepaway Camp? I've never seen I know other movies. I've never seen Sleepaway Camp. Wait, I'm definitely know, going to now. What do you now, know but, about Sleepaway Camp? So I know about it's it's oh, this. God. I know that it's this like girl shows up at camp and she's very unpopular and marginalized, and so she kills everybody. And like that's pretty much all I know about it. Oh, okay, because is that, oh, okay, is that it? I don't want to spoil no, and no, like, don't spoil it. And Brent, uh, we we. we it's not it's not possible to talk about <laughs> why this movie because it doesn't make any sense I, I, look, I get because I guess you, spoiling it you can spoil it I might not be able to watch it it might be too viscerally like graphic for me so, um, so. no it's not it's not, not not in the sense of gore it's okay. also like the best ever example of like <laughs> Long Island kids in the 80s <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, I love that. All right. It has my all-time uh, favorite. This is a spoiler and a different kind. It has my all-time favorite movie line, where one kid says, "Eat shit and die, Billy," and he goes, "Eat shit and live, Rick," or something. Nice. Whatever. Oh, great comeback! Perfect. But yeah. Anyway, I love that. And Logan, yeah. I guess, I guess, because mm, you, you can spoil it. it. Like, if it's important to the conversation, like, spoil the movie. I will. I will. I, will I don't know that it is, but it's it, you. You have to spoil the movie to talk about why it's a trans movie. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, yeah, and that's that's the case for a lot of trans movies where you're like, I had no idea. Like, yes, because they kept that hidden because that's their big shiny twist every single time. <laughs> um, but like, what's interesting about this one is that it's sort of the big shiny twist, but like to no end. Like, there's not a reason for it. Yeah, in, other than to shock in, the in, audience and yeah. be like, "Oh my god, can you believe it?" Yeah, so I, I guess I'll, I'll try and keep it vague. I'll try and still um, my point. Basically, there's a transgender twist at the end of Sleepaway Camp, and the first thing that the sequel does is say, oh, that character had sexual reassignment surgery. They don't have the big scary penis anymore. And the subsequent sequels, like, never acknowledge that character's transsexuality again because it's been revealed and it's you can't, you can't throw the cat out of the box twice, basically. Like, they can't have the same ending in every single film. So the identity is no longer interesting. They stop talking about it. Huh. And that's... There's not, granted, there's not a lot of sequels in like the transgender <laughs> film canon. There's like that and Psycho, I guess. But yeah, so and I guess Boys Don't Cry is interesting in that the audience knows this before the characters do, and that's kind of rare right. in that sense. Right. I think the other movie that I don't know, I, I have to go back and watch it again. But that I remember um, at least, and I was much younger when I saw this. But I remember at least sort of like pushing the needle in a in a certain direction with the crying game. Ooh, I, I have not seen that one, but I do know the twist and all the the, foul, the parts of that. Yeah, and uh, all right, I'll hold off on talking about it. Um, I I will let you watch the crying game. Maybe we'll we'll invite you back and have like a bonus episode about the crying game or something. But um, yeah, it, um, okay. I I, I want to. Uh, switch tracks a little bit here because I think in your in your piece you are um, if you're generous to anybody I think the person you're most generous to um, is Hillary Swank um, so let's talk about Hillary Swank for a second uh, Joey he messaged me earlier today and was like I think it's interesting that Hillary Swank is basically famous for two movies and I was like yeah uh, the next karate kid in the core um, and he's like yeah those are the two uh, <laughs> well no I mean like I think she's she's one of them I don't know if she's one of the most famous actors but she's one of the most famous actors that I know who's basically if you're like what has she been in it's like well this I knew of because she won the Oscar right. for a million dollar baby because she won maybe the Oscar for I think like, she I won the Oscar for yeah 
I wouldn't remember yeah. Next Friday Kid. I also have not seen that. <laughs> it's and <terrible>. like I, <laughs> I just saw her in Logan Lucky, and she was great in that, but she's in like 15 minutes of that. Like she's yeah. made an entire career, rightly so. I think she's a great actor, but like it's hard to say. I'm like, it, was she on a TV show for like eight years? I, no, like she's been on TV shows, but well, she was on 90210 for a while. Okay, I, so I, sure. Yeah. I, it's it's wild to me how famous she is, and like. I don't know that many people could name more than three or four of her movies. <laughs> is that wrong? And is she hot? That's the no. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you've seen the Office episode, right? I'm not like uh, no. Yeah, I don't. Okay. I don't. I don't like or watch the Office. I'm sorry. Oh, there's this episode about the. There's an episode of the Office where the entire conversation, like one of the subplots, is the whole Office trying to decide if Hillary Swank is, is beautiful or hot, and if there's a distinction between those two things. Um, it's very, very weird, but but weirdly funny. Um, yeah, I know. I, I sure. Uh, look, this is the movie that made Hillary Swank's career. I don't think anybody would would deny that. But there's also an element of like, there, I remember the sort of praise at the time being a very thinly veiled, if veiled, uh, sort of like, wow, she looks so much like a boy. And it's like, okay, like that, like, wow, well, brave of her to do this. And right. <laughs> like, that's why she deserves the Oscar. Um, uh, Logan, like we, hopefully we're, we've stopped, we're going to stop doing this, right. Hopefully we're going to stop this whole, like, <laughs> let's ca cast Hillary Swank as a, as a, as a, as a trans man. But um, I don't know. What do you have to say about Hillary Swank and like the way that Hillary Swank has talked about the, the, the um, experience uh, since then? I think out of every, I granted I haven't read like close of big, like if close to big is like had like any retrospect on the film or anything, yeah. but just from what I've read, Hillary Swank's probably the one who's a exhibited the most growth and also sees Brandon as a human being because like Kimberly Pierce, I think just saw Brandon as like a means to an end to tell the story. He was a vehicle, not a person. And Hilary Swank actually like went up on the Oscar stage and like referred to him by his given name to the chagrin of like his mother, even like his mother was like super pissed that she did that. But like Hillary like referred to him correctly. And like, she has said like weird things that I may or may not get into, but like, it, it's one of those things where like, I can't blame her too much just because she's one part of a decades long Hollywood system of casting cis people in trans roles. But I I don't blame her as much for this as I do like Kimberly Pierce for writing and directing and financing this house of cards, basically. Yeah, that's a generous way to say it. I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like sometimes I try to kind of be as as sort of ethically removed as possible and just be like, you know, like obviously Hillary Swank is a very good actor. And in some ways, like there's elements of this movie that kind of reinforce that and 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 i think like i don't know you can compartmentalize those things right I, like there's a lot of good actors in this movie who who are doing oh, yeah. good acting stuff right like chloe sevigny is a is a fantastic actor um she's not a great tipper but but uh she's <laughs> that's that's my i know that from working in new york city restaurants but she's a great actor um I, you know, I, I am a uh, on record Peter Sarsgaard stan and I and I feel very conflicted about Peter Sarsgaard um, because of this movie. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's I don't know. It, there's there's I think the thing that really pisses me off about this movie more than anything else is. I hate to say, like, how much potential it had. 
right? If you like look mm-hmm. at all the ingredients, but I think it is how much potential it had and and that a lot of things, some of which were sort of like where the culture was at the time and some of which are very like Kimberly Pierce um, got in the way of it. And, and um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a sort of a lost cause at this point. Yeah, and I I believe this movie was post lawsuit. Basically, um, uh, Brandon's mom and sister sued the police department for like gross negligence, and were found like, oh yeah, like this was a thing that was completely preventable, and it's because like directly of police negligence that Brandon and two other people ultimately died. Mm-hmm. And this, I think, if you wanted to, if you still wanted to have this film like focused on these last few weeks of Brandon's life you could and probably should have focused more on like the negligence of the other people. And I, I couldn't read anywhere if Lana's mom like told John and Tom that Brandon had reported the crime. But I remember reading that like it was the, it was the sheriff who like called them. And so I found that really interesting in the film that like they switched the blame of who informed them that Brandon had reported his assault to them. And just like, there's so many weird changes in motivation from like fact to film mm-hmm. that I found- I'm still trying to like figure out what the point was. <laughs> um, is there any reason to see this movie? Well, actually, in a, in, a, in a similar sort of question, like in your cataloging of like the 31 movies that tell this kind of story, could you give alternatives to that? What this movie is trying to, I don't know what, the, I don't know, I actually don't really quite know what this movie is trying to do, but is this movie <laughs> worth seeing? And also like, are there ones that if, if people are like, I should watch that, like, no, actually don't do that. Watch this instead. I think in the sense that it's like, it's like, quote unquote one of like the only movies featuring trans men in that like foundational sense i think if you're curious about the genre and looking to explore like what we're coming from and what we can be going to it's worth checking out but if you're looking for like actual films like about transsexuality and specifically about trans men i can mm, there's not a lot of good fictional films like i can point you to a few good documentaries like southern comfort and there's one from the 90s called you don't know dick which is um one of the earliest documentaries about trans men. Yeah. Um, Yentl isn't about a trans man, but I find that it de- it's like <laughs> it's like a live action Mulan, but like it it's actually really good about like displaying how like presenting as a gender you're not comfortable as leads to like confusion and stress and <laughs> angst and like 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 it's actually like I, I really love that That's movie. I'm like great answer. It's not, about, it's not about trans men, but like it's it's good for the point of like, here's what gender dysphoria is like and sexual confusion because of your gender. Wow. That's a really good answer. I'd like never thought of it that way before, but um, that's, I'm going to go back and rewatch that now. It's a really uh, interesting perspective on it. I also think like one of the, um, I think one of the most damning things about this movie, honestly, as I thought about it is, is if it were what it says it were, like if it were this sort of, <laughs> um, the big moment where everything changed, uh, which it absolutely fucking wasn't like 23 years later, we would not have like JK Rowling being awful. You know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> it's a lot of it is sort of like the evidence is there to say that no, it did not have this profound societal impact. Um, no, though, I, you know, also I can't prove a negative either. And I can't say that like things would be worse, worse or better. I, I, I don't, I don't know, but well, everything's um, incremental, right? Like it, it might not have, even if this movie didn't directly influence something, hopefully maybe someone reading Logan's blog or someone, you know, if, yeah. if there's any, any number of things that like analysis or people having seen and experienced and like trying to process this movie and led to something. And 
I don't know if it's actually accurate or not, but I feel like anytime you can sort of start a conversation, even if it's not starting a good conversation, like it's probably helping eventually somewhere. So again, not, not good, but you know, not maybe not a hundred percent bad, but maybe that's trying to be too optimistic about a thing. That, like, <laughs> it's not, it's not good. So there's no time for optimism, Joey. I guess not. <laughs> I'm just, I'm trying, man. <laughs> Logan, do you have anything good to say about this movie? Is there any like, what's the what's the best possible thing um, that that emerged from this movie's existence? Oh, I'm okay. Um, the girl who plays Lisa Lambert, I think, is actually really good, and I wish that they had done more with her character besides just like being somewhere for Brandon to be at the end of the film. Wait, is that is because that Allison Folland? Is that who that is? Wait, uh, no, Alicia. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. I, I butchered that yeah. last name. But, um, I, I don't know why they changed her character name. Her name was Candace in real life, and she was the other um, one of the three people who were murdered that night, including um, her either he was either currently her boyfriend or her ex boyfriend, Philip DeLevine, who was also killed that night. And like, from what I've been able to read, like, she had like a really good relationship with Brandon, like, she loved him, like, found out about his identity and was still like, oh, I, who gives a shit? Like, I still love this guy. Mm-hmm. And like that, I'm like, there's like, I, I know that it makes the lo- like the big love story between him and Lana less special, but like, why not show that he has like all these people behind him? And so like, I, I really like her performance and I wish that she had had more to do and that they hadn't like twisted her character in the way that they had to like make her the one who like pushes the dominoes down in a matter of speaking. Fair enough. Um, all right, we got a few minutes left, so let's get back into the fun stuff. Um, we always <laughs> we is it time always, for my questions. It's time for Joey's questions. We yeah. always end the podcast with two questions. Um, Logan, you are uh, again. You you are your your life is post nineteen ninety nine. So I don't know um, <laughs> how how strong your feelings are to uh, to the first question. But Joey, uh, take it away. Do you have a favorite movie from the year 1999? Oh, I know I must. Let me let me look at like, what I've only seen Boys Don't Cry, so I guess by default. <laughs> you're going to do cry. the thing now where you're going to look at the list and then you're going to be like, oh, I see why you're doing a podcast about this year. Um, uh-huh. this, this happens. Every oh, time. oh, I s- literally right now I'm looking at three really good ones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Talented Mr. Ripley. I fucking love. Nice. Ravenous. Oh, Ravenous, good. I'm probably going to have to go. I fucking love that movie. Have you guys seen Ravenous? Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Yes. I I had no idea what it was before I went into it. I was just looking for more Western horror films. And literally everything about it is like, it's like, it feels like if Sam Raimi made like a Western horror film, like it's just so batshit and fun <laughs> and like this weird homoeroticism. Yeah. And like, it's, it's everything you want in like a cannibal horror film, like set in this time period. That's great. I'm glad uh, that's a really good answer. I'm glad you, uh, cause in our first episode, when we talked to Brian Raftery, one of the movies that he mentions is like, you know, look out for this one because this is one of those ones that keeps coming up in like a lot of people's weird favorites of that year. It's ravenous. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, you're the first person to actually uh, specifically call it out by name, but yes. um this is our second to last episode of the first round, so uh, I'm glad I'm glad we we closed that loop. Uh, Talented Mr. Ripley, also again um, that that's been mentioned before. I uh, am a huge huge fan of that movie, and uh, can't wait till we get to that episode as well. Logan, have you read the book uh, 
the secret history? I have not yet. I know it's like I I have like a reading list. It's like a thousand books long. I have it's, so it's many just, things like I need a, to read. It's aesthetically kind of similar ish in, in ways to Talented Mr. Ripley. Like when I was reading that book, my friend was like, "You should watch Miss Ripley because it's like there's not an adaptation. Like it should, it could be, it probably should be adapted, but it's sort of like if you love that movie the way that you do, like you might find stuff in the secret history that you might like because Thunderheart's a great writer and you know that's a good book. So. Mm, yes, I, I will check that out. Poking around, it's also six hundred pages. So like, uh, if you're like, mm, I don't have time for that, it's like I get it. <laughs> I'll cut my way through it. <laughs> and then, question number two: Do you have a favorite movie of all time, and is it Sleepaway Camp? <laughs> oh God! If I had to pick, um, the answer is yes, but it's like a spot shared by like five different movies depending on my mood. It's one of those things. One to uh, five. Okay, Evil Dead Two. Is just like cool. a fucking classic. Uh, whoa, 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 uh-huh. uh, Not Evil Dead 1, Evil Dead 2. No, I think most people like Evil Dead 2 more than Evil Dead 1. Evil I know, Dead 1 but is like, definitely it's, good. It's, okay, I it's guess I should good. not be talking because I say Empire Strikes Back and not Star Wars, but like, <laughs> it's it's weird to me when people pick a sequel as and, and not like, you know, because like there would well, be Paddington no Evil Dead 2. 2 is the best Evil movie ever been made, so that's, you know... Okay, fine. Evil Dead 2. Keep going. <laughs> um, I feel like Evil Dead 2 is the movie that he wanted to make if he had the budget for the first movie, yes. right? Like, that's I haven't the movie seen that... Evil Dead 2 yet. Get back to me when you do. Holy shit. It's, no, uh... I've seen it. I'm quoting hypodelity. <laughs> oh, it's it's, oh, yes, it's fine. I've, I've, I've definitely seen Evil Dead. I'm like, oh, no. Um, I'm now in John Cusack mode. Um... I just quoted, I quoted Hot Fuzz to our friend Desiree uh, because she's like, I haven't seen Bad Boys 2. I'm like, you ain't seen Bad Boys 2. <laughs> Not necessarily on par with Evil Dead 2, but, you know, it's weird that there's all these movies referring to indignation about uh, not seeing. Yeah, but am I going to see Evil Dead 2? Yeah, okay. Uh, (laughs) All right, Uh, Evil Dead 2, what else? What else do you like? Oh, Ginger Snaps. That is one movie that it formed the shit out of me as a 19-year-old. I can't imagine the damage that would have done to my brain as, like, a child. Uh, Little Shop of Horrors that i have seen that movie probably like 15 times it never gets old i saw that for the first time last year do you like the theatrical ending or the director's cut ending <laughs> i like the, the upper or the downer i like the upper <laughs> i i can't do downer endings in a movie that just like happy sure i get it yeah i saw it on broadway and i've forgotten that the broadway <laughs> ending is the downer ending and i was like all oh, right everybody dies <laughs> like Yay. that's awesome uh hooray those are your three. Evil Dead 2, Ginger Snaps, Little Shop of Horrors. He said, he said five. There might be more. He said I'm, five. I'm you can do two more if you want to. Because I, I also like that you, you said, you know, in different moods. But I feel like they're all similar-ish moods. Like, they're not, like, wildly different moods. <laughs> they're, they're all different. There's a few emerging here, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're all movies where I have or plan to write about how they're actually about trans people. Nice. Oh. Uh, Oh, Little Woman is a movie that I turn on when I want to fucking cry. Uh, the, the Winona okay, one or the new one? Hold on, the, hold on, the Greta Gerwig one. Hell yeah, the good one. I haven't I seen am, the Winona one yet. I am quitting the podcast. <laughs> You're telling me that I could watch a movie with Florence Pugh or a movie without Florence Pugh, and I'm, gonna, I'm supposed to choose the one without Florence Pugh in it? Come the on. original has literally everyone I've ever been in love with who is my wife. Like, it is... Yeah, and the new one is that for me, too. So it's Claire funny. Danes, fucking Samantha Mathis, like, Jesus fucking Christ. It is... Christian Bale's in that movie. Eric Stoltz is in that movie. Gabriel Burns in that movie. Like, fucking hell, that movie is incredible. We got Hermione. I, I, we got Timothy Chalamet. We got Bob Odenkirk. <laughs> we got Florence Pugh. Oh. I, I admire I admire the new one, 
1994 version is the best. <laughs> Logan, go watch it right now. <laughs> I um, will. I will. It it it. But I Sersha. I look. We got named we named my twin daughters uh after Little Women. So um I, I appreciate so my my daughter, my twins are Josephine and Louisa. Um, oh that's so, so yeah. So I appreciate the answer. I any little women is good <laughs> little women and uh uh you know, whatever. But like ninety-four, cannot touch it. Sorry, Joey. Sorry, young people. I know you're like your <laughs> cool new millennial podcast. I know you're like your cool millennial little women, but uh can't fucking touch that Thomas Newman score, baby. That is, that's where the gold's at. Um. Anyways, wow, what a, what a strange path. Wait, do you have one more? Logan, is there one more? Uh, <laughs> the Muppet movie from 1979. Fuck yeah, there you go. Okay. All right. I have to have one like movie that doesn't like put me in a stone cold bummer by the end of it. <laughs> for someone who's been alive for 22 years, Logan, uh, good, good. You got, you got to, you got to, you yes. were, you were brought up right. <laughs> Okay, we're going to wrap this up. But Logan, um, thank you so much for joining us and for having this conversation with us. And before we go, would you like to tell people out in the world where to find you on the internet if you so desire? Of course. And thank you guys so much for having me on. This was like an incredible opportunity to be be mad about a movie in a really fun way. (laughs) Awesome. Um, Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at TransHorrors. And in my bio, I have a link to basically all my writings. If you don't want to go to my Twitter, um, I'm on Medium at, I think it's backslash a translog. That's where most of my writing is. And it's where most of my trans horror writing is as well. Joey, thanks. Logan, thanks. Uh, don't go watch Boys Don't Cry if you haven't already. <laughs> go watch Sleepaway <laughs> Camp. Go watch Sleepaway <laughs> Camp. Both Little Women and uh, 